welcome to another episode of the Start Bad Podcast, where we have meaningful and entertaining conversations with creators, entrepreneurs, and intellectual thinkers. Today's guest is Richard Hugeson. I'm really excited to bring Richard onto the podcast because he's not only one of my close friends, but he's also one of the greatest storytellers I know. It's funny because my first impression of him was very different from who he actually is. He calls himself a man of mystery, and he's better known as Jocko on my IG stories, but at first glance, he was someone very, very different. I remember it was in second year when I walked onto uh, campus, and I had a club meeting happening, and turns out that he was also part of that club. He was known to be the VP of technology on the team, and I just assume he's like some random, random nerd. I remember when I walked into our first meeting, he was on his laptop just coding away, and I didn't think much of it. But as time went on, I just got to know these small details about him that I was very shocked about. The first thing I heard about was he was actually part of a frat where I was like, wait, what? This like nerdy guy coding on his computer is like a frat boy too? I was like, no way. And then another conversation I had, it turns out that he was really into traveling and startup. And I was like, okay, that's a lie. And then like this rumor went around in our club team where if you're ever trying to boot on campus and you need a partner, you should always sit with Richard because he has the most amazing stories to tell. And long story short, we ended up becoming friends. Uh, and I think it was this interest in traveling that brought us together. But also, we were both at this stage in our lives where we wanted to build something. We wanted to take a problem and build a solution for it as we were both very into startups. And Long story short, we worked on a bunch of projects together and our friendship only grew stronger. And I'm really excited for him to share the story that he first shared with me that hadn't blown away on this episode. Before we dive into this story, I want to say something that I usually say at the end of the podcast. When I first started this, I made a list of people that I wanted to bring on as guests, people in my network that I thought had crazy stories to tell. And as I begin to narrow down this list, I want to keep adding more people to it. What I'm trying to say is if you or anyone you know have a cool story to tell, please send me a message on Instagram because I would love to hear it and potentially share it with all the other listeners on this podcast. Like I mentioned in almost every episode, every single person has a story to tell and I'd love to hear yours. And on that note, let's dive right into the story. Throughout high school, well, I guess just by the end of high school, I was, I was ready for a new adventure. And I think I knew that going into my grade 12 year that I was going to want to try something different. Um, you know, I feel like I've always been pretty academic and I wanted to be able to balance that out by doing something different. And, and honestly, I've always had a very intense curiosity for the world. I've been lucky enough. I had been lucky enough to travel a lot before then, um, but never really on my own and never really to the degree that I wanted to. Um, and so I got the green light from my parents. And throughout my grade 12 year, I worked with a consultant who interviewed me on what I was interested in and sort of based on the things that I had told her, uh, you know, I, I said, for instance, I'm interested in learning a new language. I want to uh, work with animals. I like being outside in nature. I want to meet different people, things like that. And based on the things that I told her, she sent me a ton of different options in the mail, like just sort of like an annotated set of pamphlets. And over the course of pretty much my whole grade 12 year, I worked with her narrowing down into a, a set of different things that I wanted to do during an entire year off from school. Um, so ended up coming up with 
originally it was three big things. So like the summer after I graduated high school, the fall, and then the following winter. Um, and it sort of, the plan kind of changed as we went along, but that's, that's how it started out. Um, and so then I graduated high school in June of 2013 and I set off. Um, did you, did you feel nervous traveling alone? Because you said it was your first time, right? Like embarking on this adventure. Um, did you like, did you feel nervous? Um, did you feel like you would be lonely while traveling? Mm, to be honest with you, I don't think I was that nervous. Like, I think I had thought about it for long enough that I was super ready. I was just, by the end of high school, I was so out. Uh, and it was incredible because I like wrote my last exam shook hands with the examiner, never went for my, my convocation. And, and that was it. I never looked back. You just peaced out, eh? So how totally. soon after graduation did you uh, go off on your travels? I think I finished my last exam like somewhere like June 10th to 13th or something mm-hmm. like that. And then within a week, I was flying out to Bolivia, Bolivia for my first trip. Yeah. And what were you doing in Bolivia when you first arrived there? Yeah. So I worked with... Well, so... The trips that I had organized for myself through this year, a lot of them were through companies that offer these kinds of sort of guided things. So it wasn't as though I was just getting on a plane and sort of winging it from there. There was someone there to meet me at the airport when I got there. And it was, I was actually with a group of people throughout my time there. uh, And we traveled together as a group. Um, And for this Bolivia trip, what it was, was working at two different animal sanctuaries, actually. Um under the banner of Intiwariyasi. And so we, yeah, I spent better part of two months working at these two animal sanctuaries. Um, and the first one I was at was called Jacuizzi. Um, Jacuizzi? Yeah. Uh, and it was, well, it was, yeah, it was just very unlike anything I'd ever done before. Um, I worked... I was working construction work at that first one. So I wasn't actually getting to touch or like work with any of the animals. It was purely sort of like clearing up forest. And this is, this is in the middle of the Amazon jungle. I was sort of like clearing out forest, uh, clearing tree stumps, uh, pouring concrete and setting up like animal enclosures. Is that what you were expecting when you first started planning this trip that like a month later, you'd just be doing construction in the Amazon beaming hot sun (laughs) they like i think they told me that that was what i was going to be doing but i i guess i had like skipped over that part because part part of it is um it's like the price you have to pay to like get to work with an animal Mm -hmm. as sort of like they're a non-profit the these parks and so in order to like be able to work like they want to make sure that people are committed enough yeah so you have to sort of tithe a certain amount of your time towards like construction projects before you can actually work with the animals um so that ended up being like a three-week thing mm-hmm. um and you said it exactly right i mean it was brutally hot yeah they brutally brutally hot and at that point you spoke to your spanish or like you knew a little bit going into like, this yeah like high school spanish okay that was it yeah um and but i didn't really need it because it was mostly run by other sort of expatriates as oh, well okay. yeah uh i mean there were bolivians who were working there as well Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And then, so you were in Bolivia. Once you did this whole construction thing, did you end up starting to work with animals after that? Well, yeah. So what, the way it worked was I was there for three weeks. And it was like a, 
you know, it was a long, difficult three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I lost an like, incredible amount of weight during that yeah. time. What, what it was was really just very, very manual labor. Mm-hmm. It was, we had this giant pile of rocks that we were, uh, that were like on one end of this path. And we had to take them about a kilometer to the other end of this path. So what we would do is we would take these these bags, these like rice bags, fill them up with as many rocks as we could think we could throw on our back, mm-hmm. and then hike them about a kilometer away to the construction site. So we were That's essentially crazy. manual like forklifts or whatever, yeah. or whatever the case may be. Um, I bet you put on some muscle after that, that experience. Three mm-hmm. weeks of that. No, I lost so much weight, man. Because it's all vegetarian meals they have there. It's an animal oh, sanctuary, true. so you can't really eat animals. Um, yeah. and that's a good point. Yeah, uh, I never thought about that. Yeah, so I look at pictures of myself from that time, and boy, I was skinny. Jeez, Louise. Um, and I remember the very distinctly. I was 17 at the time when I did this, and the my trip leader, who is an Australian woman, told me that because I was 17. I wasn't legally old enough to be able to get in, like a proper cap. So the the park we were going to go to after this one was a cap park. It's a primarily for rehabilitating pumas, jaguars, ocelots, like big cats. And she told me that basically if I got hurt from one of these animals, that the park could be shut down. It was just a huge liability to give me one of those. So she said, look, I'm sorry. But when we get there, everyone's going to get a puma or an ocelot or a jaguar. And you'll probably get a monkey. <laughs> uh, and I was devastated. I was heartbroken. <laughs> I'm going back home. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Because uh, I was sold on like, oh, yeah, you're going to get to work with jungle cats. Yeah. It's going to be great. This guy's walking. It's 17-year-old kids just walking over the tiger. Right. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, and she kind of like told me, okay, look. You need to really pull your weight. You need to like really show what you're capable of. And then maybe maybe we can pull some strings, see if we can get you a cat. But no guarantees. And she was kind of mean about it. She was kind of like... Wow. She was kind of like, your ass better pull your weight. <laughs> um, and so I took it personally. And like... Challenge accepted. Yeah. So I I was the best damn rock carrier of the group. <laughs> wow. Were you, what was like the age demographic of this group? I was the youngest at okay. 17. And I think the oldest wasn't that old. It was like 23. Okay, like okay. So it was all like people who are like school age, essentially. Yeah, pretty post, much. Post high school. They were all British, mm-hmm. except for me. I was the only oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's a British company. Um, so what ended up happening with these cats? Did you, did you prove yourself? Yeah, so like I finished these three really brutal weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of it, we sort of graduated from that. We got on a bus and we had this like horrible 26 hour bus ride to go from one part to the other um like continuously Mm -hmm. i think we stopped for dinner at one point but otherwise that's wild um and it was like through the through the mountains uh so i'm and i was stupid i took the back of the bus thinking it would be fine it's like the worst like the bumpiest or something absolutely (laughs) <laughs> and it was, these are like not even dirt roads. Isn't that these where the like, washroom is as well? Like, isn't the washroom usually in the back of the bus? Or did your bus yeah, not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh my God. That's an L. It was a huge L. <laughs> and so, yeah, 26 hours. And it wasn't even dirt roads. It was like rock roads. It's like these, uh, if you've ever seen in Bolivia, they've got sort of like mountains, but they're like these very, very narrow roads that are like maybe two, like, uh, two people wide. 
at, you and know, there's a at whole their bus points. with like what twenty people on it. Yeah. How was that bus ride? There? Like, did you did you make friends in that group at that point to like have some sort of entertainment? Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, twenty six hours, you try to sleep, but you can't because this thing is throwing you yeah. out of your seat every couple of every couple of seconds. Yeah, and like you're getting launched. That's crazy. I've definitely had those experiences. Like those are, I remember this one time I was in um, Cuba and I was on a, on a small like bus similar to that. And I was sitting, I got lucky. I was sitting like shoddy, right? And everyone else was in the back. It was like a truck. It wasn't even a bus. And I remember like at one point, like I was trying to sleep and I couldn't. I kept, I keep going like back and forth. And then the guy behind me, there was no like door to enter the back. So he like passed the note from the outside of the truck to me. And he said, I need to stop to use, to puke. So I told the, the, the driver, like, we need to stop because this guy has to puke. And, like, the guy spoke no English either. It was just, it was brutal. And I could only imagine, like, 26 hours of that, I, like, I'd be, I'd be done. I'm like, I'm just going to walk from here. Yeah, dude, I was a zombie. We got to this park, and I was, like, just absolute zombie. I was a wreck. And I come out, like, god damn it. And I'm going to just, I'm going to get a monkey... <laughs> Like everyone's, everyone's going to like, everyone's like amped. Hogwarts where they get sorted into their house and they yeah. get their, like their thing. Oh, and you get a, an ocelot and you get a jaguar. Richard, you could have the monkey. Yeah, exactly. So what we do is we end up sitting at the sort of like main area of camp in this new park and we're all sort of called in one by one. And, you know, one by one, each of the members of my group is, comes out exactly like I just described. Like, oh yeah, so I've got, you know... I've got Rue, the new, the, you know, this puma, this beautiful, <laughs> sleek puma. Oh, you know, I've got um, the two baby ocelots that's, that's going to be beautiful. And I'm dreading it, and I'm one of the last people. And I, I go in to get my assignment. I sit in, and all they do is they just hand me this pamphlet, like, with the details of who I've got. And so I open it up, and they say, congratulations. You've been given Tupac. <laughs> Tupac, the biggest, meanest, most aggressive alpha male puma in oh the entire park. Uh, and like, good luck, because he is vicious and he like just he's just angry. No way. And yeah. Uh, so were you like scared? Or were you just like excited that like you're not getting a monkey? I was, uh, yeah, I think overwhelmingly <laughs> I was just excited. <laughs> yeah. So just to give some context, this is a park for jungle cats that essentially can't be uh, brought back into the wild. They can't be reintroduced because you, there's like a very formative experience in your life where your mother teaches you how to hunt, how to live in the jungle, that whole thing. And in Tupac's case, he was taken in by the Bolivian military when he was just a just a cub and the military killed his mother and his brothers and they left him with such severe beatings that he couldn't see he had nerve damage in his eyes and all of that left him being just this like incredibly grumpy sort of angry um animal and he now essentially is consigned to living in a cage with and, and the, the, what we as volunteers were meant to do was we would actually go and give him some semblance of the life that he could have had. So we would go in and we would leash him up and we would walk him through the jungle uh, twice a day. We would take him on walks. He had like a path in the Amazon mm -hmm. that he would do. So it wasn't just you then? It was like you had a partner? to Yeah, I had a partner. 
Exactly. But did everyone have a partner or was it just you? Um, some of the smaller ones, like ocelots, are, are sort of like a little bit larger than house cats, so mm-hmm. you don't really need a partner for that. Yeah. But with a giant, I want to say like 150-pound puma that I had. Because you're like muscular, right? These pumas? The, my puma was jacked. Very muscular. <laughs> like insanely muscular. Yeah. He would... Um, like he would claw up against trees. Mm-hmm. He would he would jump up against trees, putting his paws on the on the wood, and sharpen his claws against the the tree. Oh my god! And you could just see the rippling biceps on this animal. It was so like what terrifying. Was that like that first walk you did this with, with this puma. Like how was that? Like how'd you feel? So on the first walk that I did with Tupac. I was not actually in tr- like I was not allowed to walk him on the first time. Mm-hmm. I just shadowed. Okay. And so it was Shane, my uh, my cat partner, who's from Wales, and it was one of the other workers, one of the Bolivian workers, who was also at the park. And I think we don't like really know why, but he really doesn't like the Bolivians. I think probably probably because of his but experience how does he with know the military. Bolivian, I guess like skin tone, um, or the fact that they're speaking Spanish or okay. something like that. So. For whatever reason, it was like his grumpiest, angriest day. Yeah. And I'm walking. So these two are in front holding the dual leashes that uh, that he's hooked up to. And I'm walking behind them, getting a sense of what this whole thing is like. Mm-hmm. And he was so grumpy that basically from the start, every five to ten paces, he would stop, growl like a lion, like mm-hmm. loudly. Yeah. And without almost with no warning, he would spin around jump at the two uh at the two people walking him and the only thing that they could do would be the so the protocol when like the animal jumps at you which like happens very commonly is you split to either side of the trail Mm -hmm. and because he's got two leashes attached to him it sort of immobilizes his neck he can't go in either direction yeah um and he just realizes it's game over and and will like keep going um, but this happened every 10 paces. Like he, he was like, he was try- out to kill these two people <laughs> that were walking him. Not really. I mean, I think it's, it's like a game for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the first, first <laughs> at that point, little Richard's like, I'll just take the monkey, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I mean, more than anything, I was just shocked that they like wanted to give me a monkey and then instead changed their mind and gave me this thing. Yeah. That one is zero hundred. That what is that's wild yeah yeah um so it ended up being a great experience i mean not only was it just walking the the animal um but the community at this park was incredible like it's just full of these like very benevolent very gregarious hippies who uh love working with animals and uh from you know just all over the world Uh, were was there locals there as well or was it mostly expats yeah, there were there were locals as well. Like a lot of the veterinarians were locals. A lot of the people who worked on the construction of the of the camp, and we all got consigned to doing construction while we were there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so how was that first walk like when you had to walk um, Tupac on your own? I mean, like with a partner. It was it was good. There's a short rope and a long rope, mm-hmm. so I always got on the long rope. <laughs> Um, for the first couple by times. choice or they just gave you the long road well because for the liability reasons for the first little while they're yeah. like and Tupac always knows that the left rope is the short rope so he always goes to his left oh I know yeah um, so I did eventually start doing the short rope as well um, yeah and it was it was really cool like 
we would take him on walks and he had a lagoon that was in the, like we're in the dead middle of the Amazon rainforest mm-hmm. and it's a swamp yeah. that we're in. So it's filled with mosquitoes. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm wearing like what's essentially a beekeeper's vest every day. Really? Yeah. Is that bad? For the mosquitoes. Yeah. Cause and there's like, malaria. There. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember having such good times where we would sit by the edge of this lagoon where he mm-hmm. would just take naps and we would just chill and watch him as he kind of rolled around. Uh, we would unleash him and like hook him onto, there was like a, you could fasten him to a tree mm-hmm. and he would just roll around and take his naps and, and just be content and happy. It was fun. He That's even went wild. swimming at one point. Like he, I don't think anyone had ever really taken him swimming before, uh-huh. but while I was with him, it was one of like the first times he'd ever actually gone in the water and bathed himself. How did you take him swimming? Like, did you get in the water with him on the leash or? No, we just, um, like we just let him, let him be like, he had enough rope to do it. And oh, we just okay, watched okay, him, sure. watched him do it. How long was the ropes? Like the short rope and the long rope? Like, like it wasn't a regular leash, right? Like it was what, like three, four meters. Yeah, some, it's probably something like that, like okay. maybe 10 feet. Yeah, because I'm just thinking, like, if it's a small leash, like, you can still easily attack. You won't have enough time to, like, mm-hmm. split up if, mm-hmm. like, it's very close to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we got into all sorts of cool little scrapes. It was fun. At one point, we had, like, a female... He, he had an admirer. Uh, there was a, there was a wow. female puma out in the woods. We couldn't see her, who was, like, cooing to him. And... Oh, you just heard that? Yeah, yeah, like... She was there and she was like waiting for him. Mm-hmm. She wanted to, um, you know, to be with him. Yeah. And yeah, so we didn't, we didn't know what to do about that. Isn't there like, um, so this swamp you were talking about, like, wasn't there like crocodiles? Wasn't there snakes and things like that? Like, were you, were you not scared? Also like being a 17 year old from Toronto, now being in the Amazon forest with all these mosquitoes and wild animals, like, were you not scared? The mosquitoes were awful. Yeah, well, mosquitoes just, were just genuinely mosquitoes terrible. anywhere in the world. They're just awful. They're just yeah, pain. but it's just you're in the middle of a an Amazonian swamp. Yeah, uh, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. Yeah, exactly. Like very different from here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the scariest parts really were like if something would set off Tupac and he would kind of sometimes go ballistic. Yeah, that was scary. We had howler monkeys throw their poop at us at one point. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Another, another time I was clearing a section of the rainforest. I had a big old machete uh-huh. and I was clearing down a tree and it turned out there was a colony of red ants in the middle of that tree Jeez. and they, oh my God, they like crawled all up my legs and it was, it was horrifying. I had welts all over my legs for weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so you just all sorts of crazy scrapes. Yeah, man. Like that's, that's so interesting. Cause like it's. You don't, you're not going to get an experience like that anywhere over here. It's, it's just, it's unimaginable. Like you see that stuff in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it was cool too. Like we got to do all sorts of, I got to see a bunch of the other different jungle cats. It was this, I just loved being in the middle of the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were so far from civilization and you know, different things happened. Like at one point, one of the cats actually went missing and we had oh, to do no like way. a crazy search party for it. Um, and I got to see a whole nother section of this park and it was just like, we, we had hip waders and we were wading through this like thick bog, essentially looking for these, this animal. Um, and we just went so deep and yeah, it's just incredibly memorable. Uh, and you know, huge rivers, huge, uh, 
the Jaguars were incredible watching the way they got fed. You like the way you feed the Jaguars, you like put their food at the top of the tree Mm -hmm. and they like climb all the way to the top of the tree in a couple of graceful strides and they just take their meat. Like you would, uh, sometimes you would put a chicken in, like I would throw a chicken in, Uh uh, a live chicken in Tupac's cage and like watch him play with his food. Oh my God. That's vicious. Yeah. Um, how long were you there? Uh, in this in this specific uh, sanctuary, I was there for a month. From at that, yeah. So I did three weeks at the construction one, and then three at Ambuar. So at this point, you and Tupac were boys, then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was at it for for a month, and then you know eventually had to leave at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was so cool about it was, like. We had started out not really knowing each other very much at all. You and Tupac? Yeah. But after spending so much time at the lagoon, you know, having walked with him, like, I got really close to even just, like, being able to go up and pet him, like, normal. Really? Which sounds kind of innocuous, but... Would you just, like, talk to Tupac? Like, would you Totally. Just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just absolutely. Talks. Um, and then, yeah, as I was about to leave, I made my way over to where his enclosure was. And I remember I, like... Exactly like you said, I gave him a talk. I told him I was going to leave. Yeah. And that, you know, that I was sorry, but that it was awesome to have been with him. And what was so incredible was that he somehow sensed what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I swear, this is one of the most surreal moments of my life. He reached through the bars of the cage and he actually put his paw on my knee as if to tell me it was all right. Oh my God. It was... It was beautiful. And it was like we had like a real moment of connection there. And and like I, I built up this relationship with this animal. Yeah. That, that's insane. And like so like after Sanctuary, like you the second part of your journey began. Right? Like you went off to another country. Yeah. Well, so I ended that trip down in South America by uh, ended up actually we sort of like as a reward, we did three weeks where we um, did a whole bunch of just like sort of adventure tourism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of biked down the death road, uh, and then we went through Peru, got to see Machu Picchu. That's um, awesome. And that was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was incredibly memorable. How was Machu Picchu? Um, it, was there a lot of people there? Cause I, oh yeah, dude, it's always yeah. full of people. Yeah. That's, that's the one thing about traveling. Like, you know, you'll see pictures online where it just looks like it's deserted. There's no one there. It's mostly a result of people like just photoshopping people out. Like I, I do yeah. that yeah, yeah. all the time when I right. do travel photos. But I've heard that a, a lot of photographers, what they do is they'll go uh, at like weird times. Like um, they'll go at sunrise because like no one's willing to wake up at like 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. and then hike all the way to Machu Picchu. So you'll get it like with less people. Mm-hmm. But like those are like, it's like one of those places where now um, like the... Like the buildings over there are like somewhat getting like destroyed because like there's so many people going actually, over there. Actually, the opposite. It was um, it was restored. Like the Machu Picchu that you see in your photos today uh-huh. uh, is not very much like what they when they originally found it. They actually it it was oh, crumbling and destroyed, true. and they've they, it was a big refurbishment project for them to bring it back to restore it. Yeah, that's so interesting because like it's on top of like a, a mountain or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, I've seen pictures. It's like, it's such a bucket list 
um, yeah, spot. it is as special as you think it is. Even yeah. with the people, like it's so worth it. It's yeah, definitely. It. No, I've, I've seen like pictures of like people going at sunrise and stuff, and it just looks so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like since it's so high up, there's like usually like a lot of fog and stuff too. So it just like adds another mysterious element to it. Yeah. So that's in Peru, right? So you were spending some time in. So you you started off in Bolivia, then you went to Peru for a bit for a couple of weeks. Okay. For like an adventure tour yeah. with the with the group that I was with. Mm-hmm. We so it was part of like the tour adventure or whatever. Yeah, you? exactly. Yeah, there was sort of broken into segments, and mm-hmm. that was the last segment. The, that was the last segment. So like, once you were done this, did you right away go to the next country? Did you go back home first? Yeah. So, like I said, I planned out a number of things that I wanted to do during my gap year. Mm-hmm. And I figured that, like, there was a summer activity, there was a fall activity, a winter activity, and sort of planned it like that. And, the, yeah, the way I planned it was I, I got home from Bolivia, I, I want to say, like, last week of August or something like that. And I was home for, like, three or four days before I went on to my next country. Um so the, the second sort of big trip that I did on this year off was I, uh, I had told the consultant that I wanted to like learn another language. That was a top priority for mm-hmm. me. So I ended up working with this company called Map the Gap that uh, helped organize for me like a homestay and um, the ability to like set myself up as a volunteer in a, in a foreign country. And in my case, it was Nicaragua, uh, which is just north of Costa Rica in Central America. And yeah, that was just the beginning of a whole another crazy adventure in and of itself. What did you expect going into that ex- adventure? Like you knew you were staying at a homestay, right? Mm-hmm. But did you have any expectations for like what that experience would be like? Um, yeah, although the reality did not uh, was not the same as the expectations, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I got to say, it was like of all the things that I did, and I did a lot of really cool stuff that year. Uh, it was definitely one of the most difficult, like mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I I landed in Nicaragua, and I sort of got picked up by a guy who was with the uh, by a local um, who was working with the company that had helped me. And yeah, then I went to the homestay that I was in, and and that was the beginning of it. Um, and then for the first couple of days, we had a a woman, an American woman who was living in Nicaragua, full time. Mm-hmm. Um, who took us around the city, introduced me to, I, I had a Spanish instructor um, who ended up being my Spanish instructor for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And we sort of toured around the, the town of Granada, which yeah. is where I was living. Uh, and it was beautiful. Granada, Nicaragua. Yeah. So when you first arrived to this uh, home in Nicaragua, um, what was what was that like? What, how did you feel? You know, like what, what, what was like the whole um, demographic of the family like? Was there kids? Was there people your age? Like, what was that like? It, in a lot of these countries, um, yeah, I think North America is kind of an exception here. Like, it's a multi-generational household. Mm-hmm. So the matriarch of the family was this grandma who's like a math, she's like a math professor. No way. She's kind of cool. Um, and it was her, it was her, her son and her daughter, mm-hmm. uh, all living in, under one roof. The son had a wife and a son. Um, and also a son from a previous marriage. Um, so yeah, you could say like grandma, son, grandson. Um, so it was a pretty big household. Was the house yeah. itself big or like, was it small? Mm, no, it wasn't particularly big. Okay. Uh, it and wasn't, it wasn't like cramped. 
Did they speak English? No. No one. Not no, even no. the math profit. No. I mean, they knew like a couple of words. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like how like an average person would know Spanish probably. No. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So like you got there and then you got introduced to your Spanish teacher as well. Wait, like was it like a small town that you were in or like was it like the... You said Granada, right? Mm-hmm. What's the... I don't even know what the capital of Nicaragua is. Yeah, Managua is the capital. Okay, so it wasn't the capital city. It was like some random city in Nicaragua. I wouldn't say it was some random city. It, it might be the third biggest city okay, in, the, in the country. Um, but it's not a city like we know it here. Mm-hmm. It's this really cool sort of like colonial era town where um, you horses drawing carriages uh, really go around all the time. It's like very... It's a bit of a time capsule for sure. Mm-hmm. If you've been to a lot of Latin American countries and cities... It's got that characteristic vibe where all the houses are painted in different colors. There's these beautiful lush like blues, purples, yeah. yellows, reds, um, and hot as all hell. Of course, yeah. Um, I can only imagine. Yeah. And so then after the first couple of days when we sort of toured around, got our bearings, I met my Spanish teacher, then we sort of got down to work of finding me what volunteer work I wanted to do. Um, and that sort of wasn't planned out in advance. I kind of got to go there and see a couple of different opportunities mm-hmm. and then figure out, okay, what, like what volunteer job was I going to do? Um, and the Carrie, the American woman who was my, my resource there, she sort of had heard about what I did in Bolivia. <laughs> and so she recommended that I, I work at the, the Granada zoo. Uh, maybe it wasn't the Granada zoo, but it was, it was about an hour outside of town. Mm-hmm. You take a bus all the way out. And she, like, introduced me to the people there. Yeah. And so, sort of not knowing what my options were, I said, okay, yeah, like, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for, yeah, so for maybe my first two and a bit weeks, uh, you know, bear in mind, it's like a completely, completely foreign experience, right? Like, the smells are completely different. Nobody speaks, yeah. nobody speaks English. Um, unlike in the Bolivia trip where I was um, like primarily among a group of people Uh who all spoke English in Nicaragua I was basically on my own you probably like stood out a lot as well right yeah of course yeah Um, yeah and so I sort of like created a new life just every day my job would be like I would get out I would commute to this zoo and I was working sort of in the back area with these two like local guys who were probably like early 20s mm-hmm. uh and just like very irreverent like very uh yeah just like just fun guys but it, I, I was kind of thrown off <laughs> and every day i was sort of like shoveling pig manure or like <laughs> cleaning out the troughs yeah um in blazing hot weather yeah and just insanely insanely hot weather you can't get around without wearing glasses there like dark sunglasses you're you scald your eyes off oh my god yeah did those uh did, did those two speak english because um no the answer to does, did x speak english is always <laughs> going to be no <laughs> yeah i always assume that like people who are younger in like south america tend to speak english because i would assume that they would get taught english in school but i guess it depends where you are well mahat i just spent some time with you in a place where we speak french <laughs> and um you know, we technically learned French in school, and uh, that, that I'll let you fill. In, I'll let you fill in the gaps of how well that went. That is true. Yeah, I I don't know much. But that was that was a painful experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So in this uh, in this town, so you got this like job, 
yep. shoveling pig manure. Mm-hmm. How was how was that? Like, did you did you want to continue doing it? I was like, miserable. <laughs> I was miserable. I was I was set to be there for three months, so I was living in this completely new home. I mean, it's a fairly small home, intergenerational home. And again, like I'd taken Spanish for two years in high school, but like I was not really good at it. Um, and so like, it was just so much newness thrown at me all at once with like no real, no one else that I could really, I could really talk to about it. Um, and I'm going to this job every day that I'm like, God, this is terrible. Like I just, I hated it. And I felt so despairing about, about just feeling like I, I was consigned to this life for the next eight weeks. Like I was supposed to be there for 12 weeks basically. Yeah. And it just every day seemed like it dragged on. I, I had no, uh, you had no friends. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was a low point for sure. Um, so what I ended up having to do was I talked to Carrie, my, my resource and she helped me find another job. Which was really good. Uh, I actually really liked the new job that I had, which was I ended up being a, uh, I worked at the the visitation center for the Laguna de Apoyo, uh, which is a crater lagoon. So it's like a former volcano that's now a lagoon. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's like this beautiful turquoise water in the middle of like a lush jungle. And I was working at the visitor center there. And in the back of the visitor center, they had this big computer room and what they had wanted to do was they, they wanted a volunteer to help teach a computing class to kids who lived in the nearby, the nearby village. So that ended up being my job. What did you teach these kids? Like just how to use a computer in general? Yeah. Like you started up. Exactly. Literally just the most basic mm-hmm. stuff, how to turn it on typing. So you had to teach these kids how to use computers and they only spoke Spanish and you were just learning Spanish at this point, right? Mm-hmm. How was that? Uh, you make it work. You make it work. My Spanish got better throughout, obviously. I bet you the kids were teaching you Spanish. You probably learned more from them than they, they did from you. It, it, oh my God, it was adorable, man. Would they just make fun of you? Because like, you, didn't, you they, didn't know? They didn't make fun of me. Like They got it. Um, they kept calling me, profe, profe. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so I taught three different... So like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I taught this class. And I would do three classes a day, yeah. two hours each. And, um, it, I don't know, man, it was just like, I love teaching kids mm-hmm. and it was so fun cause they, they had such different personalities. Like some people were super, you know, like out there and laughing and, and, you know, throwing spitballs at each other. Like yeah. you see in a normal class, others like barely ever wanted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, super quiet and shy. Yeah. So like at the beginning I had to like script out in Spanish, like, okay, this is how you talk about typing. This is how yeah. you talk about whatever. And I'm like up in the front reading from my script script, (laughs) like how how to turn on the thing and um you know you just kind of muddle through yeah exactly was your spanish a lot better at this point because yeah because i had been there for a few weeks at that point and the only thing you could speak was spanish right yeah i think like that that experience is so much more different than you know just learning a language from duolingo Mm. because like you know I'm, i'm using duolingo right now to learn spanish and i spend like maybe like five minutes a day on it but the thing is that 
since I'm speaking English with everyone else, like I'm not able to actually practice what I'm learning. Whereas like for you, the only thing you could speak was Spanish. Like there's literally no one you could speak English with mm-hmm. unless you're like talking to yourself or like journaling, I guess. Mm-hmm. Was journaling something you were doing as well while you were on this experience? No. No? I mean, you know me, I have a pretty consistent journaling practice now. Yeah. But that'd be a cool experience to journal about, you know, just like yeah. looking back at what you experienced. Mm-hmm. What about like the actual like home itself that you lived in? Like how was your relationship with the family over there? Uh, it was pretty good, although it was a little detached. They've, they've been hosting people for decades at this point. Oh, okay. The, the grandma, like she's owned the home for 35 years. She's mm-hmm. pretty much had uh, boarding students for, for that long. So she's totally, she totally knows the game. Okay. Um, so like, you're just like, you're not like a member of the family. You're just like another person just coming in and you're going to leave soon. Well, they, part of the experience is you are supposed to be like a member of the family. Yeah. Um, so I, they served me breakfast, lunch, and dinner yeah. when I was there. Um, and pretty good. Uh, it was very like unique food. How was the culture? Like, what did you, what did you experience? Because obviously their culture is a lot different from ours. I remember when you and me traveled to Costa Rica or like even when I traveled to other places in Central America, I always found that they're just like families over there are so loving, especially grandparents. Like they mm-hmm. teach you like they, they treat you like you're their own grandchild. Mm-hmm. Did you have an experience similar to that or? Mm, maybe not quite to that degree. Um, you know, they sort of were swept up in the same way that we would be here. They're kind of swept up in their own lives, mm-hmm. their own things going yeah. on. And language was a big sort of issue as well, right? Like I just kind of was, at some point I think I just became part of the background. Like I would, I would sit and have dinner with them. Um, but it was a while before I could really participate in the conversation, of course. And, um, but there was all sorts of stuff like that. Like the daughter had a boyfriend and I I was really good friends with the boyfriend. Um, that's so funny. The, uh, Jordy. So the son from the first marriage, uh, or the grandson from the first marriage Mm -hmm. rather, he was nine years old and like he was so much fun to be with because we would always play Mortal Kombat together. No way. <laughs> uh, or like board games. Uh, he was super into Pokemon, which I've also, I'm also super into Pokemon. Uh-huh. So we connected on a lot wow. of that stuff and I helped him with his English, stuff like that. That's so cool. Like um, when, you know, like uh, when I remember like when the World Cup happened, I was thinking about how like you watch these games and like you see these like two teams like going up to each other and talking. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that, like, the teams, like, it's, like, Argentina versus Germany. Mm-hmm. They speak completely different languages. Like, how are they able to communicate with each other? And just because of, like, the, the beautiful game, the soccer, right? Yeah. And, like, for you as well, like, when you were when you were in um, Nicaragua, like, it was things like Pokemon and Mortal Kombat. You would, you would never think that these things are universal, but mm-hmm. you're able to connect on something like that, which is just so cool to me. And other things are universal, too. Like, sometimes I would go out to dance clubs. People in Latin America love to dance. Oh, yeah, of course. Salsa is big over there. And it's so beautiful. In this town, Granada, so nice. So there's, it's on Lake Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. So there's coastline. And so like there would be like dance clubs that were on the coast. Nice. And I would go out dancing and like meet locals. And just like you just communicate via the language of dance. Were you able to actually like go around and travel or did you have to always come back to the home? Because so, you had to work at this point too, right? So, yeah. Although... The work was sort of, uh, I was definitely able to take time off, like long weekends and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So part of like the company that had organized this thing, they had sort of said, okay, yeah, you're also going to do these different uh, weekend trips, day trips to different parts of the country. So I didn't see, I only saw a very small subset of mm-hmm. the country. Like that's one regret. I wish I had traveled more throughout Nicaragua yeah. rather than staying in the same place. 
but I got to go to uh, Ometepe, uh, which is like the the big two volcanoes that are they're volcanic islands in the middle of Lake Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. And so we did like a weekend trip there on the weekend that I turned eighteen, actually. Yeah. And uh, so I actually got to climb Volcan Concepcion, uh, which is this really big, very iconic volcano mm-hmm. in the middle of Lake Nicaragua. Yeah. It's huge. It's so tall and it's, it's active. So it's got this huge plume of smoke constantly coming out from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember if it's legal or not to climb it. I think it is, but you have to hire a guide for the, for the steep price of $30, <laughs> which was, which wow. was actually super steep. I like, I was so habituated to thinking in terms of like Nicaraguan prices that uh-huh. like, I thought hard about whether I wanted to drop 30 bucks That's crazy. on climbing this volcano. Because um, you, you definitely had a budget while you were there as well, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't want to ball out. Because a lot of times when you do go travel, at least like short-term travel, like you set a budget. Like, um, you know, when you and me went to Costa Rica, we were like, okay, like let's try to keep this trip like under a thousand Canadian, right? Mm-hmm. So like you always think in terms of that. Yeah. But I guess like you were in Nicaragua for so long, you're like, 30 bucks? That's no Dude, way. my weekly allowance was 20 American. Oh my God. 20. And so 30 was 1.5 times that. I was like, oh my God, am I going to speak within a week's and a half's allowance on this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, was it worth it at the end of the day? So worth it, man. Uh, like the volcano was incredible. You, you start in the middle of this like lush, thick jungle mm-hmm. and it's like total rainforest and you get higher and higher. You get like above the tree line yeah. at a certain point, it starts to thin out, becomes shrubs. And then it becomes like black sand and like rocky volcanic ash Mm -hmm. and then you go into the cloud that's like erupting from the volcano yeah and yeah it was just me and this guide and uh we just you know we got higher and higher and um yeah it was beautiful so when you got to the top like did you have to like wear gas masks and stuff because i'm sure like you don't you can't breathe in that black smog yeah so just before we got to the part where you need gas masks uh, we're sitting, me and my guide were sitting on a rock and he's sort of like, he spoke English. So mm-hmm. he was like telling me, although I spoke Spanish at that point. Um, and he was like telling me about things. Yeah. And then he kind of cuts off like mid sentence and he goes, uh, so this is a little unprofessional, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, do you mind if I roll a joint? <laughs> uh, that's so funny. And I had like not smoked any weed while I was in Nicaragua at mm-hmm. all. I didn't know they even really had it there. And he just like, turns out his guidebook is hollowed out. Like he's, he's carrying this guidebook, right? Looking oh like a normal God. guide. He opens it up and he's like cut open the guidebook and stashed his weed in the wow. middle of it. And so he, he rips out a page from the guidebook, uses yeah. it as rolling paper, rolls up a, a fat joint. And the two of us, we smoke it up on the top of this rock in the middle of this volcano. That's, that's and a crazy experience. I was high as a kite. <laughs> and... On top of a volcano. Yeah. And did you, could you even see anything? Because there's a lot of smog around you, right? Yeah. So then we put on the gas masks. Okay. And then we started climbing. Oh, and, But okay. dude, I was so fucking baked <laughs> that we like get to the top of this thing. I'm wearing a gas mask. And yeah, it was crazy. Like we, I peered into the, I peered into the mouth of the volcano. Oh my God. You saw lava sm- and everything. No, because it's just smoke. You just see the smoke. Oh, true. Okay. Um, but it was like straight up walking on the moon. That's insane. You're just, you're just, it's this, this black ash mm-hmm. and you're just hiking up and hiking down in the middle of, uh, 
smoke all around you. You can barely see, but a few feet in yeah. front of you. Was it really hot too? Because of no, it wasn't that bad. I would assume that like it would be hot because like it's like right next to the volcano. Right? You're on the volcano. It wasn't so noticeable. Okay. Yeah. Were your feet just like sinking into the sand as you like climbed yeah, up? Absolutely. So it was tough to hike up. Yeah, definitely. Was the was the tour guide like around your age or was it an older dude? I don't know, middle aged. Oh, okay, okay. That's that's unreal. Yeah, like I I remember um when when we went to Costa Rica, like I remember that was my first time seeing a volcano, and I was like, this is huge. And then they told me it's a baby volcano. So like the one that you saw was probably a lot bigger than that, right? Yeah, it was very very big. I yeah. mean, it was like an like a ten hour round trip or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, five hours up, five hours down. Like and that. like, was this towards the end of your trip in Nicaragua, or like, was it like, like closer, to, uh, like middle to closer middle. to the end? Yeah, that yeah. was November. Because <laughs> like at, at that point, like you were probably like really tired of being in Nicaragua, right? given the fact that you know, like you were kind of struggling, you didn't know a lot of people there. So like having an experience like this was probably like amazing. Those were the highlights for sure. Like yeah. those, like the things that we did were were the highlights. But yeah, like you said, there were the I would say. I'm, I'm telling it well, but the overwhelming experience for me was of like a lot of monotony. Like the job was, the work was really interesting, like working with the kids, but it was only two days a week. Mm-hmm. And so I had a ton of time on my hands. Yeah. And there was this big void of like, uh, I spoke Spanish really well by the end of it, um, but that was only by the end. Mm-hmm. And every time I would try to make friends with other foreigners, they were usually sort of like transient backpackers. Yeah. And so you so, come and go. So yeah, so I, I ended up meeting people, um, but for the most part, it was it was definitely one of the hardest times of my life too, uh-huh. because I just felt like very profoundly alone, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I didn't always know what to do with myself. Like I just yeah. had so much time on my hands sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember like vividly, vividly remember like longing to go home, hmm. and. I never considered it an option to, to back out and leave early. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking about what it would be like if I did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you yeah, considered I just wish it. I could be home. Yeah. So did you actually end up going home after this trip or did you go to the next? Uh, I, yeah, I went trip? home between all of the experiences so I did. How, how was that? Like actually going home and like reflecting on this experience that you had, sleeping in your own bed, having Dude. air conditioning? Yeah, it was that day that I got home was some of the most like relief that I've ever felt like it was just this palpable sense of like oh my god I'm finally back um I I have such like I have very cherished memories of this time in Nicaragua and I'm Mm -hmm. like love the fact that I know another language now I love like the what I did with the kids and I have all these like flashbulb memories of the great times um but again those are flashbulb memories and they're deceiving the overwhelming majority of it was was this loneliness and this, yeah. this difficulty, um, and I, I nothing captures that more clearly for me than just the way I felt when I got home, mm-hmm. which was like just overwhelming relief. Yeah, and I'm sure that like now when you think back, like you still have no regrets from this experience, right? Because, and I feel and, and the fact that I stuck through it really taught me something about myself mm-hmm. too, because um, it, it was. Again, I don't think I it was never I never saw it as an option that I was going to leave. I never saw it as thinking I was going to leave. But sometimes I would daydream like, what if I just went home for a weekend? Like <laughs> and just came back after. But then I shuddered at the thought of like getting back on a plane and going back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cuz that would be you giving up essentially and you you didn't want to do that. 
Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Like if I had come home for the weekend and yeah. then it's like time to go on a plane to go back to Granada. Oh my God. I'd be like, no. <gasps> you wouldn't want to, if you, if you got a taste of like this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then going I back. I would never, again. I would never get exactly, on a plane to go right? back again. Yeah. 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 That's unreal. Like it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, like well, at this point, this was what, like eight months of your um, uh, gap year? Pretty much. Yeah. Like, well, something like that. Yeah. Started in June. This mm-hmm. was November. Yeah. It ended I came home at like the first day of December. Yeah, and like at this point, like what were you thinking? Like so far, you've had this crazy experience. Like, how has this had an impact on, like old Richard pre pre uh, leap year Richard and now, where you were at after having these two experiences in South America? Yeah, at the time, you don't think of it in those terms. I don't mm-hmm. think, maybe I did, but um, it was just so unlike any the life that I had like left behind. Yeah. It was so weird. You just go from being in high school and everything that you've always known. And then suddenly you're thrown into this completely, completely alien environment where you're just living there. And that's your new life. And uh, it's like having to sit with that discomfort on a daily basis was incredibly powerful for me. And it's like a skill that I use every day now, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And, it, and, and And I think more than that, it taught me something about my own ability to persevere um, that I, I really came away from that with a sense of, of a very, very strong sense of confidence in my own ability to, to tackle very difficult problems. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I remember I heard this uh, one quote about how when you do something really important in your life, you should never um, put in like 50%. You should always put 100% effort into it because it like sets... Uh, like it sets everything up that comes after it uh, for it. So, you know, when it comes to this experience you had, if you were to give up after being what, like three months, sorry, you were there for what? Um, three months. Three months, right? If you were to give up after like two months, you would you would give up on like other things that would come, that were to come afterwards as well. Because, you know, like you gave up on this like such big, big experience that small experience that were to come now, like you would just be like, you know what? Uh, it's, it's fine. Like I'll just, I'll just... Mm-hmm call it quits mm-hmm. but the fact that you like saw it through goes to show how important it is to be resilient at the end of the day and put in 100 percent effort yeah and it's paid off immensely like I've, I've now gone traveling uh in latin america several more times since and i, I love going there especially because i can speak another language like yeah. the like the experience of speaking a foreign language is like i just love it uh i feel like i talk about this a lot uh i just it it, it feels really special to me and so whenever I've gone now to countries in Latin America, what I love about it, it's like renewed this feeling of like loving travel because I go down, for instance, to Colombia for a week and a half. And the best part of the experience being in Colombia, like this last year when I went by myself, was that not the, the stuff that I saw, but the fact that I would just have random conversations with people on the bus mm. between places. Yeah. Like there's this girl who like was selling perfume town to town and I was just chatting with her about all the stuff that she did mm-hmm. or this girl who run, ran the hostel that I was staying at uh, or, you know, parties. Like I went to a couple different parties that were like, um, you know, just like social parties. Yeah. And I would just for four or five hours straight flip from person to person, just having interesting, awesome. interesting conversations in Spanish with all the locals for yeah, hours. I think that's one of the biggest advantages of learning a new language. I remember when I was traveling, I was, um, when I was in Cuba, I was with this one guy who was like a professor from Spain. 
And uh, when we were together, this guy would stop and talk to every other person we encountered. And at one point, like, I was getting annoyed. I was like, dude, like, I'm trying to go somewhere. Like, let's get going. But he just wanted to, like, chat with people, hear their stories. And it's like I somewhat envied uh, not being able to speak Spanish because I also want to be able to have, you know, those, like, intimate conversations with locals, hear about their lives. But I wasn't able to. So mm -hmm. I think that learning a new language, uh, especially going to if you're planning on going to a place where, like, that language is spoken, can you know like how ha you'll have such a more such a more intimate experience and yeah like, yours is like a perfect example it humanizes people too I, i feel like that we have this tendency to think of people from other countries as like the other yeah uh and largely that's because we don't understand them we can't communicate with them right we just see them as these people with very different norms than mm -hmm. us living in very different circumstances than us yeah who we can't even talk to we can't even have a conversation with and then when you can have a conversation with someone like in their own language it just it breaks down that whole perception for yeah. you in a, like a very very concrete way that's it's like wow like they're just these people are just like us mm -hmm. they have you know yeah they, they have all the same ambitions and everything that we do and it's just great to to be able to communicate with them like that and i think that's why everyone should take some time to travel because it makes you more open-minded it makes you realize that You know, like your culture is not the culture. Like there's other very orthogonal cultures out there that um, you're not familiar with. And you might think that they're weird or different, but that's just like another person's way of living life. So I think that traveling is so, so, so important. And especially when you do learn a different language, you're able to actually integrate yourself into like their culture and learn about it, which makes such a big difference in your own perspective, right? Like when you came back to Canada after living in, you know, you know this Nicaraguan culture it was probably like so different it was yeah this is i'm glad you say that uh because you're reminding me of the way it felt for me when i came back which was um i came back <laughs> and i became insufferable to my family and everyone around me because all i would talk about was like so i came back in december and of course christmas is ramping up right yeah. and i i was coming from this place where i was spending tw my allowance was 20 dollars american a week <laughs> Right. And like, that was, that was living large. Like yeah. that was, I, I was splurging on ice cream. I was doing all sorts of stuff with that 20 bucks and we get, we get home and it's Christmas time and everyone is selling each other on like, Oh, you need to buy this and this and this and this. And my mom was like, Richard, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Do you want this or this or do this? And I go, do you know that people would die for like a, like $2 on the street there? Like, do you know you could, you could feed a family for a week with, with this um and I, i don't know i'm maybe i'm not expressing it that well but i i became uh like quite profoundly uh sort of jaded about that mm -hmm. because all we see here is is just our own our own problems our own norms yeah um, no i i completely agree with you i remember um when i went to um cuba i had this one experience where we had food with locals um they made us meals like chicken and rice or something And uh, normally when I would have like chicken over here, um, like they gave us like chicken leg pieces, like I got two chicken leg pieces. And I remember like I, um, I started eating it. I started eating one and I got to like close to the bone where like the chicken was like a little bit purple. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna leave this and start the next one, right? And my friend over there, like the guy I was traveling with who was from Spain, he's like, Mahad, what are you doing? He's like, you're not gonna fish on me. He like snapped at me. I was like, wait, wait, what am I doing wrong? He's like, you're like, you know how hard these guys work for like these meals, like this 
food and you're just gonna like let it go to waste mm. and i felt so bad for mm-hmm. like leaving it and, like it's just something i was mm-hmm. so used to over here like i'll go to popeyes i'll get chicken and it's like a little bit purple i'm like no i'm just gonna toss it out right mm-hmm. like wasting food it's just mm-hmm. like so common over here and when i came back from that experience like now i've like vowed to like never never waste food at least like never waste meat right because mm-hmm. like it's such a luxury to have in mm-hmm. third world countries or any in a lot of countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think like those are the kind of experiences that have such a big impact on, you know, like your thinking, your perspectives on like everyday things. Like for example, mm. wasting food or how you spend money and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't even know. It's hard for me to even identify how much of like who I am. I can tie back to the tr- experiences that I had. Um, because I feel like it's just so thoroughly integrated in who I am now. It's hard for me to say, oh, this experience made this part of me. Or, you know, I think this way because of X. Yeah. It's more... I, but what I can say for certain, with without a shadow of a doubt, is that I came away from there... Like, the person I am today is profoundly, profoundly influenced by what I saw on all the experiences I had. But the Nicaragua one, I think, was one of the most profound. And um, I don't know, I mean we'll probably have more conversations on this podcast in the future. But one thing that I like one of my like core, core, core things that I care very deeply about is like the mission, mm-hmm. uh, about wanting to be of service to, to the world and to the people around you and, and caring more about, um, being of service and like what you're doing to like make things better. Yeah. Putting that far and far and above your own objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just think that's that's just incredibly important, and it's like so important to be compassionate, and and recognize just like just, I'm I'm grateful to like almost like an unhealthy degree every day for everything I have um, to the point to the point that like it makes it difficult for me to like appreciate some of the things I have sometimes because I feel so guilty about it sometimes. I, maybe that's sort of like a cliche to say, but it's like ingrained in my identity for sure. Yeah, exactly. I think on that note, we should wrap it up, leave it at a cliffhanger. Because yeah. I think that mission talk is like something that you and me had a very interesting experience with, you know, at in clubs. So mm. we'll, we'll wrap it up on that note. The thing with the, me and Richard is that we can like, when we meet, we just like start riffing. Like we go off on like these like long conversations about any, any topic. So I know that Richard's a guest that will be on the podcast plenty of times because there's this was only like half of like your leap year story. So there's plenty of more stories to explore, uh, even ones that you you and me have experienced together. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on to the, the first, uh, I guess, like your appearance on the podcast. There's lots more to explore. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. I'm sure people took a lot away from it. Um, and I'm excited to have you on again to explore some of your other stories. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. All right, bro. Peace out. Alright guys, be honest with me. Tell me your heart did break into a million pieces when you heard that Tupac rested his paw on Richard's knee. Like, it's, it's, is, is this like a Disney movie or something? I, I, that gets me every single time. But thank you so much if you made it this far into the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Richard's stories always fascinate me and you can definitely count on him coming back for future episodes because this is only half his gap year and he has tons of other stories to tell. Let me know what you thought about the podcast episode. I always love hearing your feedback and your thoughts. If you enjoyed it, leave a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast. Make sure you subscribe. 
we release an episode every two weeks. So next episode will be two weeks from now on Wednesday. And until next episode, stay safe, stay adventurous, and keep on building that dream.